It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, how do we keep hope alive? Coming up in this episode, everyone wants to have hope. But if we take one look at the conditions in our world, we get the feeling that hope is fleeting. This may be true for many, but it doesn't have to be true for Christians. We just need to understand how to access the process and power of true biblical hope. Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Thankful to be with you. And Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Romans 8, 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Hope is a critical part of the human experience. Without it, our lives would be overrun with despair, doubt, and difficulty. Hope is intertwined in every part of any experience that contains even the smallest measure of doubt. Without it, we would end up meeting the uncertainties of each day with our own internal and unanswerable uncertainties. The results would be disastrous. The fact is, there are different interpretations of what hope really is. If we place our hopes in seriously questionable ideas, circumstances, or people, we will undoubtedly end up with high levels of disappointment. So, how do we keep true hope alive. For Christians, it all begins with striving to understand what biblical hope really is. Once we grasp this, we begin to see that hope in its most complete form is absolutely transformational. So Rick, let's begin with what hope is and what hope is not. Hope literally means desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. And biblical hope, as a noun, means expectation or confidence. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, so to begin with, hope, according to biblical definition, is expectation or confidence. And that word expectation has a lot to do with what we want to focus on here. So hope is expectation. Therefore, hope is not a wish. So Jonathan, what is a wish? Uh, it's to have a desire for as something unattainable, wished he could live his life over. And genuine hope has a basis in reality, whereas a wish has its basis in imaginary circumstances or unrealist, unrealistic perspectives regarding actual events. So we need to understand there is a major fundamental difference between having a true hope versus having a wish. And too often, our hopes really have a lot of wishiness. They're wishy-washy, okay, uh, in, 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 their, their, in, in what they're made of. We mix things that we'd like to see with the things that we might have firm expectation on, and when you water down something, it loses its potency. We don't want to water down what true hope is. So throughout this podcast, we're going to suggest four key truths about hope. So Jonathan, let's start. What's the first key truth? Well, number one, genuine hope is based on truth. 
John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are my true disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So being in Christ is the place to find truth and truth is the best thing to pin our hopes upon. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Genuine hope is based on truth. And let's talk about what not to pin our hopes upon. Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence, meaning reliance, in the flesh. So it's far too easy for our emotions to cloud and crowd truth and principles. And that's why the apostle says, we put no confidence in the flesh. So our Christian hope shouldn't be based on our flesh. It needs to be based on something bigger. Now, there's lots of truths about our flesh, but they're not reliable enough to create the expectation that a true Christian hope needs to have. So our highest and most solid hope is in God himself. And we're going to take Rick, a—go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, you told me um, the next set of scriptures we're going to be reading, you believe these are the most hopeful scriptures in the Bible. I do. I absolutely believe that these are the most hopeful scriptures in the Bible. And you may not—you might be surprised when you hear them, but, but hear it out, because there is immense power in these next scriptures. Jonathan, let's look at Hebrews chapter 6 verses 13 to 19, and we'll take it in pieces. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Now remember, the original promise to Abraham is found in Genesis 22, verses 17 and 18. And so what you have at the beginning of the scripture is a promise from God. It's a very straightforward promise, and it says he swore by himself, saying this incredible promise. So now let's go verses 16 and 17 of Hebrews chapter 6. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed meaning he made it fixed and unalterable, with an oath, meaning a sacred restraint. So what it's saying is, you know, men look to swear by something greater than themselves to show how serious they are. Well, God is the greatest, and he can't swear by anything greater. And it says he added to his promise this oath, this sacred restraint, and it, he made it, he, it says he interposed this promise. He made it fixed and unalterable. Now look, you start the scripture with God making a promise. If you ask me, there's nothing greater than God making a promise. But no, see, this scripture doesn't just stop at God making a promise. It builds on it and says he swears by himself, and he makes it unalterable, and then he puts an oath on top of it. You see the seriousness of what God is saying and God is doing here. Let, let's continue, verses 18 and 19. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. And Rick, I looked up the words hope 
and steadfast. Um, uh, I'm sorry, sure and steadfast. Sure means secure and steadfast means stable. So, so that that is strong. <laughs> so on top of the fact that he makes a promise and swears by himself, and then he puts an oath on top of it that is unalterable, it says that this hope is an anchor for our souls. It holds us absolutely steady with the security and the stability of God's word. It says by two unchangeable things. Well, these two unchangeable things, God's promise to Abraham was as unalterable as events which had already occurred, which means they're as unalterable as history. Now, you can look back and you can try to reinterpret history, but history can't be changed. When God made a promise, it's as though it already happened. That's how solid it was. So you have that unalterable event uh, of, of his promise, and then this his highest seal of surety, which is his oath on top of it. Jonathan, you can't get better than all of these things piled on top of one another to establish hope. And God says, and, and the, the apostle says in Hebrews, that this hope of all the families of the earth being blessed is the anchor for our very lives. This is something you can hang on to for eternity. This is the most, in my opinion, most hopeful scripture in all of the Bible. Let, let's continue. The firmness of God's word and his ways bring us many clear expectations. We have that one promise. Let's take a look at some other things. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. So you got this hope of eternal lie, life, and it says, which God, who God incidentally can't lie, promised long ages ago. Now, how long ago did he promise it? Well, God's chosen disciples of Christ have had the hope, and we're going to, every time we say hope, we really mean the expectation. So God's chosen disciples of Christ have the hope, the expectation of eternal life. While this came only to light through Jesus, he made this understandable. This promise was a firm element of God's plan long before Jesus came. How long before? Let's take a look at this. You, Jonathan, we're talking about making our hopes fixed on something that is solid. Think about this next scripture and then put it together with the Hebrew scripture we just read. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So what that's saying is that we as followers of Christ, God had planned for the followers of Christ to be part of this heavenly call, not by name necessarily, but by position long before the foundation of the world. Remember, you know, the scripture says the lamb, Jesus, was slain before the foundation of the world. God had it all figured out at the very beginning before he did anything. Think about that. You want to have hope? You look at how strong it is to have the eternal creator have all of this in order before he puts it together. You can absolutely hope, expect that his plan will come to fruition because he has been in control all along. So, Based on this hope, this expectation of Jesus' followers, God's plan is designed for us to find and hold on to a hope, that is an expectation, also for all of humanity, just like in the Hebrew scripture. I will bless all the families of the earth, even though things have always seemed to be futile. And we're going to be touching on that frequently here. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere, we wait eagerly for it. And Rick, the word hope in a verb form means to expect or confide. So we've got this hope that it for, is not just for ourselves, because in this scripture it says the whole creation groans and suffers in pain until now, waiting for the adoption of the sons of God. So their blessing comes after the sons of God have been proven faithful. That's what the scripture is saying. And this, Jonathan, is not a wish. This is a solid hope. You don't see it happening yet, but because God said it, God's plan put it in place, and in that Hebrew scripture, he swore by an oath on about it, you can be sure this is what's going to happen. We said the first fundamental piece of hope is hope is founded on truth. These are biblical truths that we can always hold on to with two hands and never, ever worry. So as we wrap this up, this first point, finding and holding hope's highest promise, what, what do we have? To hope is to have a strong desire accompanied by a clear expectation. Truth-based hope is the only hope that can truly fulfill humanity's deepest yearnings. God himself provided us with the highest basis for our deepest hopes by being the source of what we would expect. So the idea is that truth-based hope is the only thing that can solve humanity's problems. Now, look, we try to hope in all kinds of things, and we keep falling down. When you hope in God and you hope in truth, as mentioned, as described from God himself, that creates a whole different scenario. So humanity will ultimately have its most profound hopes fulfilled simply because God has planned it to be so. While it's inspiring to see God fulfilling our deepest hopes, how do we cope with our present world tragedies? Yeah, that's an important question. Having considered the big picture aspects of how biblical hope works, we do need to consider the everyday applications of hope. Our world is a scary and unsettled place. Knowing that Bible prophecy tells us it will get worse before it gets better, we need to be really focused and put our hope in very, very clear sights and very, very specific uh, uh, circumstances. So we talked about hope being built upon truth. Jonathan, what's our second key truth about hope? Truth-based hope is built upon reality-based expectations. Oh, real reality-based expectations. Here's the environment that we live in as the last days are coming. Here's what it is. Here's our reality, Rick. Okay. Let me read this to you. Second okay. Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, 
reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. So, Rick, we're, we're supposed to base our hope on this reality? Well, okay, that is reality-based expectation, but wait a minute. You know, John, you take me so literally. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> this, though, that is reality. And you say, well, if you're supposed to have your hope based on reality, what are we talking about? We're talking about the reality of the fact that God put in his word that these things would happen long before they did. So the reality is that God has got it in ultimate control. So you don't base your hope on that reality, but on the reality of God's perspective on all that mess that you just read about. And I'm glad you get to read that scripture and not me. <laughs> so, and, and, and let, let's, let's expand this, you know, this reality-based expectations for our hope. These last days are in the same context of that, that you just read about, are the same context of Jesus returning as a thief in the night. And Luke 21, Matthew 24 both deal with that. Luke 21 is dealing with this part, this Jesus returning as a thief in the night, and further describes the position of the true followers of Jesus th that they're in at this time. So Luke 21, 36 is looking at the condition of the true followers. But keep on the alert at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And we're going to get to verses 34 and 35 in a few minutes. But right now, when looking at such tumultuous times, and Jonathan, you really gave us a good description of the tumultuous times we're living in today. How do we build hope or expectation when reality is absolutely so horribly bad? Well, this verse that you just read shows us actually three things that we need to consider to locate our reality-based expectations. What are those three things? Number one, keep on the alert. Number two, praying for strength. Number three, standing before Jesus. Well, keep on the alert means as a negative particle and a New Testament word, 5258, to be sleepless, that is, keep awake. And in the King James Version, it uses the word watch. And this word is only used four times in the New Testament. There, three of the times are used about individuals. So just want to quickly quote the other two uses of this particular word for keep on the alert. Jo uh, Jonathan, let's go to Matthew 13, 33, and then Ephesians 6, 18. Take ye heed and watch and pray, for ye know not what the time is. And then praying all, always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So you see in our scripture in Luke 21, 36, keep on the alert, praying. In Mark 13, 33, watch and pray. Ephesians 6, 18, pray and watch. It's watch and pray, pray and watch, watch and pray. So this, this watching has to be done in a prayerful way. Because the end-of-the-age challenges that we are facing today, folks, look around you, they are both blatant and sometimes they're very subtle. They can be external, these challenges, or they can be internal. They can overwhelm us from the outside or wound us from the inside. In all cases, watchfulness must always be accompanied by prayer. If you want to have hope and you want to keep it alive, watch and pray. 
And what does keeping alert mean? So this, and, and we define this particular word because it's, it's very, very interesting. This seldomly used word for keep alert that you, you defined as be sleepless, keep awake, has a fascinating core meaning that applies in a profound way to the end times. The definition of the word that you mentioned, Strong's number 69, keep on the alert, uh, stated that the root of this word was the negative form of another Greek word, and that's Greek uh, he, uh, Strong's Greek word number 5258. What's the definition of 5258, Jonathan? It is sleep. That is figuratively spiritual torpor. And in the King James, uh, it uses the word sleep. And figuratively spiritual torpor, you know, I've never heard that before. What is that? Well, you know what? When I first looked that up, I thought, never heard of that word either. Now, a few folks that I know heard of it, but I never did. So had to look this one up. Torpor. And this is from Wikipedia. Torpor is a state of decreased physiological activity in an animal, usually marked by a reduced body temperature and metabolic rate. Torpor enables animals to survive periods of reduced food availability. Now, that's the end of the Wikipedia quote. Let me explain it a little further. This is not hibernation. In a torpor state, animals often continue to forage for food. The minimum metabolic rate in this torpor stage goes down as far as 35% of their basal metabolic rate. So they, they, they function on 35% of what they normally function on. Contrarily, hibernation is a state of regulated hypothermia. There is no foraging or eating. Over a prolonged period of time, the minimum metabolic rate goes down as far as 6% of their basal metabolic rate. So torpor is trying to conserve your energy as you are looking for food as an animal in a state where there's just not a lot around. So you're being very conservative, holding your energy in and trying to just find the bare minimum to, minimum to get by. Okay, it sounds like for us to maintain our hope, our re reality-based expectations, we must avoid spiritual torpor. We must find our hope in the reality of God's care for us through Jesus and not the tragedies of this life. Right. So the point is you don't want to be in a sleepy state, a torpor state. Spiritually, we have to avoid this. Spiritual torpor, this acting uh, as though the things around you are, are just not sufficient and you've got to really, really be very conservative in terms of what you do. Spiritual torpor comes from reality-based reactions. Now, we were talking about reality-based expectations before. Torpor comes from reality-based reactions for, for Christians. These can easily supersede our reality-based expectations. So we've got reactions and expectations that are reality-based. And Jonathan, some of the things you talked about earlier come into play here, because we tend to react to those instead of having our expectations come to the, from the right place. So understanding this reality-based expectation and reaction thing can really help us keep our hope alive. Let's read Luke 21, 34, and 35. Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries or cares of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Well, we have three spiritual torpor symptoms, three symptoms that show we are overrun with the reality of worldly fear and not overjoyed with reality of spiritual care. 
Okay, so we're going to compare the reality-based reactions with reality-based expectations. And whenever we have a reaction, what's happening, folks, as Christians, is we're acting like we're in a torpor state. There's not a lot of goodness around. There's not a lot of food around. I better be, I better, I better hide. I better be careful. I better not exert myself. I better not put myself out. That's the state that the scripture says, don't do that, because inevitably we lose hope when we live that way. So, Jonathan, you, you said there were three torpor symptoms. The first one is said to be dissipation. What does that mean? It means um, the giddiness and headache caused by drinking wine to excess. Wow, that's interesting. Now, yeah. the reality-based reaction, falling into giddiness and or hangover are the results of behavior that is unattached to godliness. We want to ignore what is happening. So this dissipation is wanting to ignore the reality because it's too big for us. So we back away, and as Christians, we don't do what we, we could or should, but we just want to go, okay, don't want to make waves. This is a difficult environment. Don't want to make waves. Find a grape here or there to, to munch on, and that's it. That's, that's all you've got. That's a reality-based reaction based on the world around us. A reality-based expectation, though, is stepping up to a love for and a focus on truth. We, instead of wanting to ignore what's happening, we need to put ourselves in a position of wanting to understand what's happening. And you can't be so conservative and backed away when you need to understand what's happening. Let's look at Romans 8.28 as an example of this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So if we know that all things work together for good, and we're in a tough spot, and we feel like, well, I better just be easy, I better not extend myself, we're falling for that spiritual torpor that, that the, the scripture told us, don't go there. Instead, we need to say, God works things together for good. Let me extend myself in my faith. Let me live my hope and therefore find what I'm looking for and be unafraid. So dissipation, that, that, that wanting to ignore what is happening, that's a symptom of spiritual torpor. The second one you had mentioned, Jonathan, is, is drunkenness. Now, drunkenness, well, go ahead, just explain it. I mean, it's pretty, well, we, pretty straightforward, all right? <laughs> it is behavior that abandons godliness. Now, reality-based reaction, we fall into the numbness of abandoning godliness when we hide from the tragedies of our world. We want to get away from what's happening. And in today's society, drug abuse does the same thing even prescription drugs and legal substances. And so we need to understand that it's really easy to try to get away from what's happening. We can just avoid it because it's too much for us. Instead, that's a torpor reaction. It's, it's a minimization of what we're capable of. Instead, we should have a reality-based expectation because that's what hope is. Hope is an expectation. And that reality-based expectation is reaching up and connecting with God to honor him and to love his plan. We already talked about his plan. Remember the Hebrew scripture with the most incredible hope you've ever seen in the entire universe? Well, that is what we want to connect to. Instead of wanting to get away from what's happening, we want to gain clear perspective of what's happening. Study, look at the prophecies, look at God's plan. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So 
put on the full armor of God and go out and fight the fight. Don't feel minimized. Go out there and maximize the hope that is within you and live it. The third symptom, Jonathan, what was that? It's cares of this life, meaning solicitude. Solicitude is the state of being concerned and anxious. Now, our reality-based reaction, we get swallowed up in cares that subvert the most important things and change our perspective. We just want to give in to the pressures we are feeling, like spiritual sleepiness, a lower level of effectiveness. Right. And we settle for the lower level of effectiveness. Don't want to make waves. Got to go easy. Just take it. Look, we don't want, you don't want to offend anybody. And look, we're not suggesting you go out and purposely offend people. Okay. But we need to stand for the principles that we believe in. So this reality-based reaction is wanting to give into the pressure that we're feeling because it's just easier to give into it. What about our reality-based expectation? The expectation to find true hope, keep it alive, reaching out to love and care for the brotherhood, engage yourself in the lives of others. We just want to help them stand in hope with us. So instead of giving into the pressures we're feeling, let's help others stand with us together. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. I'd like to share an experience of a 98-year-old sister in our Bible study group. She became depressed with the COVID experience dragging on and on because everyone was being isolated from one another. She testified several times about how down she felt. What pulled her out of this depression was engaging with others by phone. She was asked by the church comfort committee to call those going through difficult trials and sicknesses and give them encouragement in trying to help others she was blessed and encouraged, and it brought her out of her depression. And see, we can get depressed by the circumstances, or we can live in hope because of the circumstances and work on doing the things we we can do. Love truth, love God, love the brotherhood. Those are ways to avoid this spiritual torpor. A great scripture that gives a comparison of, of hopes that are not based in things that are really solid. Job chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the rushes grow without water? While it is still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the godless will perish, whose confidence is fragile, and whose trust a spider's web. He trusts in his house, but it does not stand. He holds fast to it, but it does not endure. See, that scripture is talking to us about making sure that our hope and our trust are put in things that are solid. Hey, I think I'll lean on the spider web for support. Yeah, not a good idea. Not only will it not support you, it's really sticky. So you just don't want to go there. You don't want to have your hope in things that will perish. Back to that Hebrew scripture, God made a promise, and he swore by the promise, and an oath on top of the promise, which is sure and steadfast and an anchor for our very lives. That's what we hope in, because it includes all the families of the earth. Finding and holding hope's highest promise, Jonathan, what do we have? Keeping our hope alive requires us to be fully alert and awake as we face the end time storms before us. To react the way the world does is to be trapped in a mindset of spiritual scarcity. Rick, let me repeat that. To react the way the world does is to be trapped in a mindset of spiritual scarcity. With every reaction we have, let us find the more powerful hope, 
the reality-based expectation, which is based on godly thought and perspective. Easily said, not necessarily easily done, but necessarily worked on. If we want to have hope that is alive, how do we keep it alive? We have to have it focused on the right things. So looking at hope through the eyes of God-driven expectations gives us a solid foundation to stand on in an unsure world. Now that we know that hope positive expectation is based on truth, what does that do for our focus? When you think about it, hope is a function of focus. As we've already discussed, we essentially get what we focus on. In a world that is so broken and and traumatic, it's difficult to observe these things, these difficult things, without focusing on them. Finding a focus that features hope requires putting several elements together. So the bottom line is, it's not easy, but as a Christian, it's necessary. As a matter of fact, Jonathan, it's our responsibility to live a godly hope and be that godly hope for those around us. So let's look at our third key truth about hope. Reality-based expectations refine the direction in which we focus. Now that we have established what being fully alert and praying look like, regarding reality-based expectations, let's talk about the third point of the Luke 21 text, standing before Jesus. Luke 21, verse 36. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So we talked about keeping on the alert and praying that you may have strength. And remember, keeping on the alert is is basically saying don't fall into this spiritual torpor state, this minimization state. So you pray and you keep alert. Why? To escape these things and to stand before the Son of Man. As disciples, the direction to which we focus must, by definition, be the direction that points to Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty simple, but sometimes it's not that easy to do. In a world such as ours, it's not as easy as it sounds. See, our hope is based on, and just like with that Hebrew scripture we talked about before, our hope is based on God's actions. He raised Jesus from the dead. So, therefore, we can look forward in hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 16-19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Well, Rick, sounds like an atheist I know and his view of <laughs> Christianity that we should all be pitied for, for believing what we do. And, and you know, you, you, can, you can understand that, because here we are saying, well, we have our hope based on the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Prove it. All we have is the written Word of God. And they can say, well, you know, that's a book, and they can go all over. And, and, but the bottom line is the Bible is a scientific book. It is a, it is a medically sound book. It is a perfect, per, prophetically uh, accurate book and is historic historical book and it gives us a sense of not only morality and spirituality and legality it gives us a sense of eternity as well so when we look at that book and we see all of these things together you say wow there's something hopeful here and not just any hope it's godly hopeful so this is why we say yes from the outside in 
sure, we pity you for having such a hope. Yet for, for us, Jonathan, this is e- eternal. And eternity doesn't go away, incidentally. It just keeps going and going. So let's look at Jesus focusing our direction, because that's really where our hope comes from. And let's go back to some of the other things that Jesus did and taught. After healing the man who was blind from birth, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, Rick, I am the light of the world. That's a pretty powerful statement for Jesus to make. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus gave us this lesson, Matthew 5, 13 through 14 and verse 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how could it be made salty again? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So in that first scripture, Jonathan, Jesus says very plainly, I am the light of the world. In the Matthew 5 scripture, he says, you, my disciples, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So, you know, he, he calls his followers the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are the preservation of the earth and the light of the world. And, you know, whenever there is difficulty, when, when the lights go out, when it's dark and it's scary, when there's light, there's hope. Jesus was the hope of the world. We carry that hope in us. And that is what the world can rely on if we let them see it. Like an oil lamp, the true Christian has the Holy Spirit, which is represented in the oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The lamp has a wick, which when lit, lets God's power and influence shine out to those around us. Our commission in Christ is to share our hope, the good news that Jesus died for all. So you're saying that lamp has to have that wick and that wick has to be lit. That's right. So you can just rename things, Jonathan. It's it's Christian Questions with Jonathan and Wick. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Look, the point is, focus on that which is truly hopeful. And anything from the godly perspective that, that, that Jesus told us, that God prophesied, that helps us to see what we should be focusing on. Christian hope, for Christian hope to have a clear focus, we need the reminders of the powerful promises of God made to those who truly honor him. And before we, Jonathan, we're just going to read two promises here from the Psalms. The, the Bible is loaded with promise after promise after promise with a promise from God. Remember that Hebrew scripture. That means firm, clear, undeniable hope. Psalm 91, 1-4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you shall seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Well, God is our protection. He will cover us in trouble. This is where our hope needs to stay focused. So now, folks, think about it. I keep going back to that Hebrew scripture because it's such a powerful scripture, but take 
the, the, the authority of the hopefulness that that scripture gives us. And look at this. You dwell in his shelter, uh, and he's our refuge, he's our fortress. He delivers, uh, he covers. Uh, under his wings we have refuge. His faithfulness is a shield. We have all of this surrounding us. How much more hope do we want than having God's presence around us because he loves us because we're trying to follow uh, him through Jesus in following Jesus' footsteps. So that's one promise, just one. Let's take a look at one other promise. Even And this has to do with the trouble in the world. Even when the ending of this present evil world was spoken of in prophecy and it's difficult, we still have hope. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah. Uh, we'll be covering the details of this psalm in in full light Um and that'll be in just a couple weeks. And, you know, you're looking at the conditions in this world, and you're looking at the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and you think, wow, what's happening? Things are crumbling. This psalm is talking about things crumbling. And it says, in the midst of all that, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Think about this. How do you keep hope alive? By realizing the greatness of God, the incredible focus of his word and his plan and clinging to those things through Christ. That's how we keep our true hope alive. And, you know, the the reality-based expectations that we had that we talked about last segment, they refine how we focus ourselves. Hope is fed by focus on what we can influence while leaving that which is beyond our influence in the hands of the God of the universe. All right, let me just say that again. Hope is fed by focus on what we can influence while leaving that which is beyond our influence in the hands of the God of the universe. That's how you maintain hope. John verifies our hope, our expectation, by reminding us of what we have already received and how this gift focuses us. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Can you imagine seeing Jesus uh, in all his glory? And then he says, come with me. I want to introduce you to my father. Do we have our hope fixed on this hope? That's, that's an amazing thought. And I, I, it's so big. It's such a big thought that you just expressed. And, and, you know, when we look at that in the future, we say that's an incredible, incredible hope to have. And, and it's promised to us. But the other thing that's promised is now are we the children of God? Now think about that. Go back to that Hebrew scripture with all of the assurances around his promises and think he's our father. That's how strong our hope is. And you know, when you look, if you had a, a, a dad that had positive influence for you when you were a kid, you looked up to that dad and you counted on that dad, well, multiply that times a few million and you've got the ability to count on the father. He, we are children of God. 
So there's something present and something future there to hope for. Peter plainly speaks of the focus that we're to have. Our hopes are not just fulfilled now in this life, even though we're called children of God now, but also in the life to come. This future hope does not require us to focus ourselves, or I'm sorry, it does require us to focus ourselves here and now. But what about the the concept, hey, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm born again, no worries, I go to church a couple times a year, that's enough, right? That's a wish, my friend. That's just a wish. Let's be plain, let's be simple, let's be straightforward. Being a Christian is not just a proclamation, it is a lifestyle. It is a transformation that says, this is how I live, and this is why I live this way. 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Jonathan, that scripture was all about the actions of hope, having ourselves focused on being holy right now, not being conformed right now, standing in in in, in line with the, the life and, and example of Jesus as we fix our hope completely on the grace that's coming even later. So, there's action and there's present work to be done. Finding and holding hope's highest promise, what do we have? Having our hope refine the direction of our focus is a key ingredient in keeping hope alive. Our job, therefore, is to keep our highest objectives in mind, the promises of God before us, and walking in the footsteps of Jesus as our life's goal. Hope stays alive when it is well-fed. If we don't feed our hope with our actions and our, and our intensity and our focus, it will not support us. Folks, it's a two-way street, and God has given us so much to work with. So transformational hope is clearly not something that we just fall into. It needs us to want it, to work it, and to live it. True hope absolutely changes how we see the world around us. So, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, as with every other lesson we draw from the Bible, believing in something is powerfully important. However, the most important thing is what we do with that belief. Are we content with hope just sitting in our hearts and minds? Or does that hope explode into actions that define how it has changed us. We need to develop whatever the talents are that the Lord has given to us so we can put them into action. And you know, there's something powerful about developing what the Lord has given you. Look, here, here is the thing, Jonathan, and we know that, that, that we, we are truly, truly blessed. Everybody doesn't get the opportunity to do a, a podcast and talk about the gospel. You know, we get to do that. You and I have gotten to do that for over two decades. It, it's just like one of the greatest parts of our lives. I know that. I it know is, that. absolutely. And, and, and everybody doesn't get, but you know what? There are so many of the brotherhood that are working behind the scenes, that are doing things that nobody knows about. And there's 40 or 50 or 60, I don't even know how many, that just labor and labor to help so this can happen. And so whatever our talents and abilities are, our hope is nurtured when we nurture those talents and abilities in the service of God. Let's just never forget that. What's our fourth key truth about hope? Our refined and focused hope fuels our actions. 
Christian hope requires action. It is not only built upon the character and promises of God, but also upon the sacrifice of Jesus and our call to follow him as well. We therefore need to be actively engaged in that which provokes the highest godly hopes of the world. So our refined and focused hope fuels our actions. Hope dies unless we act upon it. It's just the way it is. It has to fuel our actions. So, so let's go back to the third point from Luke chapter 21. Remember Jesus returning as a thief in the night and the torpor scriptures and all of that. And this is going to help us understand the actions required of us. Now, Jesus doesn't often talk about standing before him after our lives in accountability, but when he does talk about it, it's very impactful. And it's all about action. So to illustrate this, let's look at a part of the conclusion of the parable of the talents. So the parable of the talents, the master Jesus goes away, and then he's going to return later, and he leaves three of his servants with money to invest so that they can make the gospel grow, essentially. That's the bottom line here. So there's three different results. So we're going to take a look at the two-talent servant who was given those two talents when the, when the master went away and he's standing before his return Lord. Here's what he says as he is being accountable, Matthew 25, 22 to 25. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now let's compare the two-talented servant to the one-talented servant standing before his returned Lord. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattereth no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Well, what is the difference between these two servants? Well, you think about it, that one talent servant, he said, I was afraid. He was weighed down with, remember the, the Luke 21 scripture, he was weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. He didn't see hope in his assignment. He saw obstructions in his assignment. He was afraid, spiritual torpor. In his master's absence, he daily avoided his mission and replaced it with an internal monologue of misery. He had no spiritual hope and suffered, therefore, from spiritual torpor. Now, when you look at what he did in relation to the other servant, the two-talent servant, that two-talent servant went before the Lord and essentially said, and I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing, Master, you gave me two talents. I went to work. I worked hard. Here's four. This is what I have earned for you. This is the result of my work. He had hope and enthusiasm in the work that he did while the master was gone. So there was a tremendous difference between the two. And I think the one talented servant did not want his master to return because <laughs> yeah, he didn't yeah, want yeah. to have to report to him, right, did he? <laughs> right, right, because he, he was hiding. He was hiding. Well, for more on using the talents the Lord has given us, see episode 1215, what am I doing with what God has given me? Go to ChristianQuestions.com or the CQ app and enter the episode number into the search bar, 1215. So back to our subject, our refined and focused hope fuels our actions. How do we keep hope alive? 
We keep hope alive by having hope in truth, focusing uh, on on what we think about, and doing the work that needs to be done. This is how we get it done. We have to do the work. We contribute to the hope, and the hope in turn supports us. Our hope can only be strong when it's truly internalized, and therein we find its meaning. Let's look at, if I love this scripture, let's look at Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Well, Rick, we can act on what we know. And and think about it, the glory of our inheritance, can we even wrap our heads around that? No, we can't. It's bigger than we can imagine because it it's in a realm that we don't understand. So you can't even imagine it because it's in a realm that is just far beyond the human ability to comprehend. But here's the thing. In this in this action, the the apostle says, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you'll know what is the hope of his calling." Think about that. The eyes of your heart so, you know, the heart is the centerpiece of, of our emotions. You know, you've got the mind, the intellect, and the heart. Let the eyes of your emotions be enlightened to know the hope of God. Usually, the eyes of our heart are on what's going wrong and the difficulties and what went wrong and how failure happened and all of the difficult and hardships of life. He, what he's saying is let the eyes of your heart lift up higher to see the hope of his calling so you can experience later that incredible, incredible inheritance that was promised to us. It takes action to get the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. It takes work. Let's look at Romans 5, 1 to 5 as well. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Well, if your hope disappoints you, then it's not a godly hope. And Jonathan, that's such a powerful thing. And you notice that the hope not disappointing is at the end of a uh, process, exulting in tribulation because tribulation brings perseverance, which brings character, which brings hope. So there's this process. And if we are disappointed in our hope and we say, well, you know, I was hoping God would take care of me in this way or that way. What we've done is we've watered down, we've diluted the promise of God with our own personal desire. And when we do that, it loses its potency. We can't allow ourselves to take the potency of God's promises away. Let him work his providence his way. Let's pray and put things before him and pray like Jesus did. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And whatever it is, then we can embrace it. Jonathan, in this Romans 5, 1 to 5, there's actually a ton of things that we want to just touch on briefly. So, what role does hope play in this text? The first two verses are going to give us the, the idea of the, the, the role that hope plays. 
Being justified by faith brings us peace with God through Jesus. Also, peace with God brings access to God's grace. And lastly, God's grace brings us the opportunity for action to exalt the hope of God's glory. So if you break it down, how do you get to this hope? Justified by faith brings us peace with God, which brings us access to his grace and gives us the opportunity for action. There is a process here. It's action. Hope needs action. Now, the practical living aspect of this comes in in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. There's, There's four points here, Jonathan. What are they? Because of the spiritual promises, we now know tribulation brings perseverance. Next point, perseverance brings proven character. Next, proven character brings hope. And lastly, this is hope in action, and it is driven by God's love and spirit. And it's not diluted by what Rick wants. That's the key. I can, I have the power to have God's hope in full potency before me, or I have the power to dilute it down and make it lose its strength. I can choose, but I have to be humble enough to let it be God's way only. God's way only. And then one more thing, it needs to be God's way only. So, okay, good. <laughs> so, so the magnitude of this hope for the world, and, and you know, we haven't been talking about hope for the world at the, up to this point in this segment. We've been lo- really focusing on ourselves and the actions. But the magnitude of this hope for the world seems unnoticed by most. But the scriptures are plain that it's actually there. 1 Timothy 4.10, and then Jonathan go right into 1 John 2.2. 2. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And he himself is the propitiation or satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Well, Rick, this is the why of our hope. It's not selfish hope. It's a selfless hope. That's who God is. God is love. And that agape love is always giving to others. He has everyone's best interest in mind. And that's such a powerful thought, that because God has everyone's best interest in mind, he is the Savior of all men. Now, Jesus did the work of sacrifice and so forth, but God is the architect of that. And Jesus is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins and the sins of the world. How much better a hope do we want for everybody? This is how we let our light shine. This should lift us up, Jonathan, even though the world falls apart around us. So finally, one last scripture. Let's look at what hope does for us. First Thessalonians 5, verses 6 to 8. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So you have the sense that we need to be alert and sober. We've talked about that. But along with faith and love, hope protects us. And that's really what the message is here. Specifically, it guards our minds so we may clearly see through the fog of the world's turmoil. It says, put on the helmet of hope the hope of salvation. That's where our hope brings us. It brings us to salvation, and it's protective. It protects our minds if we choose to keep that helmet on. Final point, Jonathan, finding and holding hope's highest promise. What do we have? Having a hope that fuels our actions is having a hope that not only changes us, 
it can also be observed by those around us. If we are vibrantly living our Christian hope, our Christian expectations, we will not be drawn into lethargy of hopelessness. Hope stays alive and well when it is put into practice every day. So folks, the big question for today was a simple question. How do we keep hope alive? And what we did is we looked at several points that help us to understand what goes into hope. And hope is a two-way street. God gives us great reason to have hope in Him, but we have to put great effort into making that hope activated. Here's the thing. Hope is useless unless it engages us. So how do you get it to engage us? We, we get it to engage us by studying, by, by, by practicing, by putting things in place. We need to learn how to live the hope. We need to learn how to be the hope for those around us. And we need to learn how to be the light of the world because that's what Jesus told us we should be. And where there is light, there is hope. And where you have God's scriptures and God's plan, the light of that plan can shine. But what am I going to do about it? Will I be that hope, not only for myself, but for all those around me? Hope is alive. Choose to make it grow. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions, your favorite podcast channel, such as Google Podcast, Apple, anything like that, <laughs> iHeartRadio. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, how is Satan trying to devour me? Talk to you then. <laughs> 